It's great to be together to worship God, to know his presence. We're coming to the end of our study on James. It's James chapter 5, 13 to 20. Let me read these words to us. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins." There's a great story about Billy Graham. He was returning to Charlotte after a speaking engagement, and when his plane arrived, and there was his limousine waiting to transport him home, as it happens. And as he prepared to get into the limo, he stopped and spoke to the driver. He said, you know, I'm 87 years old, and I've never driven, in a, uh, driven a limousine. Would you mind if I drive it for a while? And the driver said, yeah, no, no problem. Be my guest. Well, Billy gets into the driver's seat and they head off down the highway. A short distance, a rookie state trooper, so he's a newcomer, operating his first speed trap, noticed this black limo going past at 70 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. So the trooper pulls out and easily catches the limo, gets out of the patrol car and begins the procedure. The young trooper walks up to the driver's door, and when he see, the glass rolls down, he was surprised to see he was at the driver's, um, who was driving it. And immediately he excused himself and went back to his car to call his supervisor. He said, Supervisor, I know we're supposed to enforce the law, but I know also that important people are given certain courtesies. I need to know what I should do because I have stopped a very important person. The supervisor asked, is it the governor? The young trooper said, no, much more important than that. Is it the president? No, more important than that. Finally, the supervisor said, well, who is it? And the young trooper said, I think it's Jesus because he's got Billy Graham for a chauffeur. (laughs) (laughs) Love it, love it, love it. Great one. That's probably my best joke yet, Heather says. Thank you. A round of applause. (laughs) Oh dear, my only good joke. I'm going to think I'm going to tell it each week for the next 10 weeks. But you know, it raises an important question What difference would it make to our lives and our living, our speech, our conversation, our actions and our reactions, if Jesus actually was sitting? in the passenger seat next to us as we journey through life. See, I think this is essentially what James 
James's letter is all about. Journeying through life with Jesus. And I think this is what James is asking of the church. He knows, and we all know, and I know, if Jesus was physically sat next to us, we would be kinder, we would be less impatient, we would be more loving, we would be wiser in our decisions and more intentional in obeying God's word, never mind the law, (laughs) and making peace. And yet somehow we have this notion that we think our deepest thoughts are hidden from him. Our words and our deeds go unnoticed, except on a Sunday. And it doesn't matter when no one is around, if we slip up from time to time, give in to temptation, and stray from the truth. Not true. It matters enormously. And not only does it matter to God if we please him or not by what we do and say, but it matters to him because he's made a way possible for us to live this life of holiness, purity, faith, in accordance with his word. And this is what we call the series, Faith in Action. Faith in Action. And I was speaking last week about having a steadfast heart Worshipping God, no matter what is going on in our lives. Having a sound mind. Choosing godly wisdom over the world's wisdom. Having clean hands, seeking purity. And that unwavering will that says, yes is yes and no is no. Lest we fall into judgment, verse 12. You see, faith in action is powerful and it's exciting. Living this life of faith, it's uncompromising. And unconditional. It's real and relevant. And as the, um, the new Bishop of Salisbury, uh, who I met this week uh, in Salisbury, said, it's about being good news. By the way, he's a good guy. We've got a good new Bishop of Salisbury. As James brings this message to land, he has one more challenge for us to offer. How we pray. And actually, more specifically, how we pray effectively. And this is what I want us to focus on just as we come to the end of the letter. Anyone can pray. And most people in the world do pray. Whether people come to church or not, whether they profess the Christian faith or not, Praying is something most people do. I had a friend who um, some time back described himself as an anti-theist. Anti against theist God. And yet I remember a time, uh, a a number of years ago, actually we were on holiday with them. Um, It was an uh, an evening, the sky was beautiful, stars were there. And he talked about kind of praying. And I'm thinking, who the heck are you praying to? (laughs) But it was real to him. And you see, for many people, prayer is like this shot up into the dark, not really knowing the one that they're praying to or seeking, but willing to give it a go, just in case there's someone there who will listen to the prayer and answer it. And then others, prayer is like a shout into the light. God, I need your help. I need it now. Where are you when I need it most? Why have you allowed this suffering or this to happen? And so on. Actually, many Christians pray like that. Can I have a glass of water? I haven't got COVID. (laughs) 
<laughs> the last time that happened was the week before going on holiday. And I made that bold declaration, I have not got COVID. And the red line appeared later on that day. But I have not got COVID. So, <laughs> so I've just been speaking quite a lot already this morning. But that is the kind of prayer. The prayer to God. They know something of God. And pray to the light, but are not certain. Some of us are like that when we pray. But you know, for all these kinds of prayers, there's a common denominator. And the common denominator is an absence. It's the absence of what James is speaking about here, a fervent, earnest prayer. A faithful and faith-filled prayer that really does heal the sick, raise them up, bring forgiveness, and even changes the weather forecast and makes it rain. And it's this kind of prayer that the church is called to engage with. This is the kind of prayer that you and I are called by God to engage with. As James writes in verse 16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man, and that's not gender, it's people, avails much. Or as the NIV puts it, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And you see, it's important to note the default position of this kind of prayer is not wishful thinking or ineffective. The starting point of this kind of prayer is not like a shot in the dark or shouts of hopeless kind of desperation. And sometimes we so easily get caught up into that type of prayer ourselves. The default position of this kind of prayer is prayers that make a difference. Prayers that change the atmosphere. Prayers that usher in God's kingdom for the sake of the gospel. Prayers that heal and save and deliver and restore for the glory of God. And I suppose the challenge for us is what kind of prayers are we praying? What is the default position of our prayers when we pray? And how can we pray more effectively and fervently? I have three P's for you, for prayer. (laughs) The first P, posture. Just say posture. Power and practice. Posture, power, and practice. Verse 13, if anyone is among you, sorry, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. I mean, this phrase, let him pray, is much more significant than at first glance. If you like the injunction, the command invokes a certain kind of position, prayer position, when it comes to praying earnestly. I'm not talking about whether we put our hands together or not. I'm not talking about whether we get down on our knees or not. I mean, those things are fine, but that's not what this is about. This is not about body position. It's about the posture of the heart. This word prayer, prosukimai, it means to pray earnestly. Pros, to lean into, to come near to. And ukumai, it means to wish, want, really want, pray. There's an earnestness in this posture. When Ruth was presented with the option to leave her mother-in-law, Naomi, and go back to her own people, we read in Ruth chapter 1 verse 14 that she clung on to Naomi. 
She wouldn't let go. This Hebrew word dabak, it means to cling, to catch by pursuit, to overtake, to be joined together, to stick and not to be broken. You see, the starting point of this kind of prayer is not giving up. Quite the opposite. It's leaning towards and clinging onto until that prayer is answered. When do we last pray like that? When do we last posture our hearts to lean in and to cling on to? You see, in a fast-moving, constantly changing, instant and impatient culture, this quality to embrace is really hard because it demands time and space with the Lord, the posture of our heart. But then James goes on, the power of prayer. Prayer, the effective, fervent prayer, verse 16, of a righteous man avails much. Again, there is a default position, power. See, there was never a moment in Jesus' ministry on earth when the releasing of power when he prayed was at stake. Never a moment. Whether he was praying for the sick, whether he was calming the storm, whether he was multiplying the food, whenever he prayed, that power was never at stake. And Jesus says to us, go and do likewise. Again and again, John 14. Do this. And so this effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Effective, the, the, the Greek word is energeo, means active, mighty, fervent. Energy that works. The word fervent is energeo. Same word. Active, mighty, fervent, effectual, energy that works. There's a double emphasis. Energy, energy. Avails, Yeshua, it means force to be of strength. And polis, it means much, many, great abundance, great things. James is painting, painting, painting a picture here. The default position with earnest prayer is power. Power to move mountains. Power to make a difference. I'm sure you're the same, but when I turn the ignition on in my car and I get into the right gear, I never question whether the car's going to move, assuming there is fuel in the tank, which is important. But the default position is that this has power to move this 1,500 kilogram chunk of metal in the direction I want it to go. It has power and it goes to work. It's the same with earnest prayer. There is power that needs to go to work. The Father is looking for us in us when we posture our heart right. There is power that needs to go to work to move the mountains that we face in our lives. To calm the storms that are all around us. To heal the sick and to raise them up. And of course there's a key to this, as James says, and that's righteousness. Being in right relationship with God. That's not a substitute or an extra. It is heart and key to everything. Having Jesus sat right next to us and the Holy Spirit resting upon us and filling us and the Father loving us and leading us is key. 
Walking in obedience, living lives that are holy, just, pure, as we've seen in this letter and as James encourages the church to do. But when our lives are right with God, look at the power that prayer can do. Verse 15. It can save the sick. It can raise them up. It can release forgiveness. How many people do we know that are living in unforgiveness in their lives, bound down, captive, tied up because of what's happened, the shame, the guilt that they're living in? And this kind of power can change the atmosphere around us, as Elijah demonstrated in his own life. This is earnest prayer. The posture of the heart, leaning in and clinging on to, and the power that is released. But there's one more thing. Anybody? Practice. Well done. Posture, power, practice. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Wow. Wouldn't you like to pray like that? How did Elijah get to pray like that? You ever thought about that? See, James is clear here. He had the same nature as we do. He was just like you and me. It's not that he was born with some supernatural gift to stop the rain and then cause the rain, stop, you know, cause famine and then harvest. He wasn't born with it. But it happened when he spoke the word. And I think the key here, he was practiced in praying fervently. That would be really hard to say if you had some plums in your mouth. Practiced in praying fervently. He had the same nature as we do. But he nurtured the habit of posture, leaning in, clinging on. And he'd seen the power of God at work. And he was practiced and prepared. See, he was practiced being fed in the secret place the ravens, so that when it came to the widow of Zarephath, who had nothing, her jar was running out, he could pray knowing her jar would just keep filling and there would be food until the harvest came. 1 Kings 17. He was practiced in pleading with the Lord for people and their lives, so that when he cried out for the soul of a widow's son, he was raised from the dead. He was practiced in knowing that God could perform the impossible for him in the small. So when it came to the 400 prophets of Baal, he knew fire would fall on the altar. And as he called out to the Lord, he knew that tiniest of cloud in the distance was the sign the rains are going to come. He was practiced in earnest prayer. And I think part of the problem, and I know this for myself, and God has really been speaking really since the beginning of the year, is we don't practice enough. We don't persist enough at leaning in and clinging on and trusting for the glory of God. Power is going to be released. And if the intervention doesn't come straight away in the way that we want it to, we too quickly walk away. If the answered prayer doesn't happen, we lose hope, 
and we stop trusting. Which really doesn't make sense when we consider the one to whom we're praying. Does it? When we think about it. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is all-loving. And he longs for us to lean in and to cling on to see his power at work. So how do we practice praying fervently? By starting with the small. I want to give you three words. Sunsets, dolphins, and pelicans. Sunsets, dolphins, and pelicans. When Heather and I were away, and we had five days at this uh, lovely beach house uh, in America uh, that uh, this lovely couple allowed us to stay in. Our journey there, we journeyed three hours, three and a half hours in torrential rain. You know when your windscreen wipers are doing this and you still barely can see what's ahead of you. And we got there, miserable weather. And there, kind of later on in the evening, there was a break and we just walked on the, the beach. And uh, we'd remembered from the past that this place, they do the most beautiful sunsets. And so Heather just asked the father, Father, would you give us our time here? A sunset. And then we also prayed that we'd not see many, but would you give us dolphins? You know, they just delight our heart. And so the next night, we had the most beautiful, glorious sunset. Absolutely stunning. And... uh, the following morning as Heather was soaking, she was just thanking God for it. And she just heard her father said, that sunset was for you. And by the way, the dolphins are coming. And pretty much at the same time, I was down by the water's edge. And uh, it just with the, the two years that have passed, just kind of sensed needing to be healed and cleansed and I was just uh, looking at that passage in in John's gospel about Jesus saying to the disciples I don't need to wash the whole of you just the feet and so I was just at the water's edge and just kind of paddling uh, in the water just sensing you know just that cleansing healing flow of the Holy Spirit Uh, when I heard the father said you know the dolphins are coming and I walked back up to the house, turned around and there they were and I like yelled into the house Heather the dolphins (laughs) And this pod of dolphins, just like that. And then the pelicans. Brown pelicans are fascinating birds. But there's one thing that I noticed them doing. As they come to the water, they just hover. And there's a thing called the ground effect. And what it is, is about a foot above the water. The, the atmosphere rises from the sea. The, and with the air wing, the aerodynamics... Uh, just a foot above, it creates a cushion effect. And they can just glide for miles. And the reason they do it is to reserve energy, to rest. And just the way the Holy Spirit spoke about resting in him, that cushion effect between the living water and just resting above him. And the times that would say, you know, God, would you just send a few pelicans? I need to get the right picture. And these pelicans would come time and time again. Praying the small, what a blessing it was to us. And then this week, I was going to Waitrose. And as I was driving to Waitrose, I just had that sense of praying for someone that God was going to place, I thought, in the shop. Someone that he wanted me to pray for, to bless. 
park the car in the car park, literally get my bags out, and this lady comes round. Hadn't seen her for probably about 10 years or so. And she said, Phil, lovely to see you. And I honestly didn't really recognize her. Uh, we, we talked and we shared a little bit. And then she shared about her three children and what was going on in their lives and the pain that that was to her. And in that place, praying for her and for her family, her children, and the blessing that it, it was for, for her. Practicing. I've got to get so much better. But I think we, we all can get better at this. You see, when we practice on the small things, we're ready for the big things. When we really know that power that is released as we pray for the small things, it's coming for the big things. Two minutes. Let me finish with this. John fourteen fourteen. Jesus says, If you ask anything in my name, I will not do it. Think about it. Ponder on it. Might, might not. Do it. Easy verse to remember. 14, 14. John 14, 14. If you ask anything in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. What are the sunsets, the dolphins, and the pelicans that you're asking God for? Ask him. You see, the message is clear. Posture, power, practice. Posturing our heart, leaning in, clinging on. Knowing the power of God, all-powerful one, that he wants to release in and through us. Day by day, as we practice with him. Just very briefly, Santa's given me permission to share this. When she was flying back from Alaska, Barrow, the northern Arctic Circle, beautiful weather until I think it was the day before or even the day itself, fog landed in that place. No planes were coming in or out, or certainly going out. What did they do? Panic? It was a 58-hour journey with about four or five connections. As a team, they prayed and they commanded the fog would be lifted and the fog was lifted. I know there are prayers that we in our, uh, ourselves have prayed God for and they've not been answered. I understand that. I understand the tension that's there between the, kind of the now and the to come and all of those tensions of like seeing things answered in the way that we hope and we want to. But we have to press on. And my encouragement to each one of us is that we learn to pray earnestly, as James encouraged us us to do, with the posture of the heart, leaning in, clinging on, the power of God flowing in and through who we are, and day by day, practicing in the small things, so that when the big times come, we are ready and prepared. Amen? Let's stand together. The disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so I just want to say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like this? Father, would you teach us to be people whose prayers 
are effective and fervent for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. And Father, where there have been times when we've just done this shot in the dark type prayers, we ask for your forgiveness. But would you stir our hearts to be those that really do lean in and cling on. And those that see your power at work in and through even the small things of life. And just even now, just ask the Holy Spirit, just for those sunsets, dolphins, pelicans, that delights your heart that he knows. Ask for those things for today, for this week. Because he's a father that loves to bless and loves to give us the desires of the heart and loves to take us deeper and further into him. To know the glimpses that he has for us. To know the power that is at work by faith in him. Living in righteousness with him. Making a difference in this world. Changing the atmosphere around us. Father, teach us to pray like that for your glory. Amen.